The opening hymn, Praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of Creation. may be seated. How you feeling? Good morning, Hope. How much does it matter to you, the style of worship? How much does it matter to you if the, if the worship bands select certain kinds of music? Is it the music, the style, or the message? Is it the robes, or, or the style of the preachers? <laughs> Some of the preachers at Hope have a lot of style, and then there's me. I'm just saying. Let me ask you a question to start off this sermon. When it comes to your spiritual journey through life, is it more style or substance? Is it outward appearances, the stuff, the way we do it, the format of the service, the songs that are selected, the music, the band, what people wear, what they don't wear, how traditional it is, how contemporary it is, or anywhere in between? Or is it about God's Word? Because God's Word comes out in all sorts of different ways. I mean, this is the first time I've preached at this pulpit, in this room, ever. <laughs> but that's not a bad thing. Unless, of course, it's all about surface things. More superficial things. Some of you grew up like I did in traditional worship settings, liturgical worship settings. I'll say more about the definition of traditional worship as we go, because traditional worship isn't just classic thumper hymns like praise to the Lord, the Almighty, the King of creation. Think about what we just sang. Praise to the Lord, the God who is Lord of lords, not just Savior, but Lord, the one who leads us and guides us and shows us the better way, the deeper truth, and a more abundant life. The King of all creation including you, including all the people around you. God made that. God created you. So when we sing these old thumper classic hymns, we're singing scripture. Just like when we sing the contemporary songs that we sang earlier in this service or whatever campus or local site you're at. And if you're in Liberia at our group that's meeting there now and worshiping there, you sang some songs for a couple of hours. We're just getting warmed up here for you. Does it matter, though, the style, or is it about substance? Is it deeper than that? Are all traditions bad? Did you know 
that the liturgy that the church has been doing at our traditional services, and we have one down the hall at our West Des Moines campus every Sunday morning, the liturgy is all Bible-based. So this thing that you say, oh, it's just routine, you're just going through the motions, you mean you're just going through the motions of reciting scripture? You're just going through the routine of proclaiming God's word and singing it and praying? We're against that? Is it the routine and the ritual? Or is it where our hearts are? Okay, that, that's an I at least have to come out here, all right? <laughs> this comfort zone, that is not it. This is. The Bible says, stand firm and hold fast to the traditions that you were taught. This is a picture of the stained glass in the church I grew up at. Uh, my dad was a pastor. My mom sang in the choir. Um, and my brothers and I would sit and try to behave, and that happened about 12% of the time. Uh, during the services, it, it had all the traditions, all the liturgy, all the thumper hymns, praise to the Lord, how great thou art, amazing grace, beautiful savior, and, and we would sing them, and we would sing them. We were all in. And if you aren't careful, you start to say, some of you even are sitting here going, it's about time. <laughs> it's about time we sing praise to the Lord in this room at 930. We sprinkle in some classic hymns from time to time, and if you're itching for more, we've Got a, that traditional service down the hall in the chapel here at West Des Moines, moving to prime time, we call it, 9 a.m. in two weeks. Feel free to go down there. Uh, go down there every week or go down there once in a while, or if it's not your thing, feel free to not go down there. Turn to the person next to you and say, it shouldn't matter. It shouldn't matter. It, it shouldn't matter. How much does it matter to you, the way we do it? Isn't the key that we're going deeper into the, into the rich soil of God's eternal word? Isn't it more than just the way we do it, but who we do it for? This is a worship service. Just by definition, we're here to serve. We're not, it's not a worship consumption. That's not what we call this. It's a service. And so if you have a beautiful voice, I guarantee you, you've already blessed the people sitting around you. If you do not have a beautiful voice like me... I guarantee you, you can still bring volume, and that could be your gift and your contribution. Or you say, I'm just not, a, singing's just not my thing. That's like you can praise God in other ways. You can serve God in other ways when you're here. Greeting somebody, saying hello, a sincere welcome. I'm really, really glad you're here, and be glad that you're here. You see, it's about what's in our hearts. And if it ever becomes about anything less than what's in our hearts, we're, uh, we're going to slip. We're going to get stuck. So I'm calling this sermon Finding the Holy Space, Finding the Spaces Between Stuck and Slick. Because in American spirituality today, there's way too much stuck going on and way too much slick going on. And I want to just remind us as a church family that we're searching for that faithful middle where it isn't about how we do it nearly as, it is, nearly as much as it is about who we do it for. There are concerning trends and there's reason for hope. And I want to point you to both of those today. It's easy to get stuck like Winnie the Pooh when he eats too much honey. It's easy to do that spiritually too when we eat too much tradition. Let me define tradition for you. Tradition is not just classic hymns and liturgical worship. For some of you, tradition is Sandy Patty, Amy Grant, Michael W. Smith, and Gaither. That was contemporary worship. And you're thinking, why don't we do more of that? And that would be, there's no, that'd be great. That's awesome. I love that stuff. I love liturgical classic thumper hymns. But ask anybody under 40 who Gaither is. And they'll look at you sideways like, what's loose? 
I, I don't even, I'm not even sure who that is, unless, of course, they grew up in your house and you had it on TV all the time, or you were playing it all the time. You say, well, that's, that's not traditional, that's contemporary. Not anymore. It's traditional now. It's just a different kind of tradition. And so it goes. Every generation comes along and turns the page and says, here's a new tradition. Here's a new tradition. Here's a new tradition. And you say, yeah, I don't like the new traditions. That's the problem. It's not the way I prefer it. It's not the way I want it. And if it doesn't get to be the way I want it, I'll go find another place to worship. I understand that. We're all on the same team with all the churches in the area. I'm not against it. We, we want to encourage those churches. We want to support those churches. And we try to do that all the time. We are not competing. This is not come and go in Casey's, you know, sharing a corner of an intersection somewhere, you know, trying to just knock the teeth out of the other people and have them go out of business. We want all the churches to be packed in Des Moines. We want everybody to be full. I'm all for that. But you do realize your family, right? That if church isn't just shallow, surface, superficial things, that when you become a part of a church, as 270-some new members did today, as a lot of you are members, you become family, sisters and brothers in Christ. If there's abuse, if there's horrible things happening, if you're hurt by something that's just completely sideways and heretical, then you got to go. But leaving for shallow, superficial reasons? Is that what you do with family? As soon as my brother offends me, I'm out of this family. I'd have been out when I was one and a half. And I would have been gone over and over and over again my whole life. Turn to the person next to you and say, whether you like it or not, we're family. Just go ahead and get that out. Just, just look around. We are family. I mean, if we're in it for the right, for, for Bible-based deeper things. If we're doing spirituality faithfully. If we're doing it the way our creator created us to do it and live it out and carry it out, then we won't get stuck. There's nothing wrong with traditions. We have a core value here at church. We say we worship God, not tradition. And in the Bible-based explanation of that, we go into it and we say, according to scripture, tradition can be a good thing. And where it helps get the Jesus thing going for you, embrace it. If 9.30 and the style and the format and the way it all goes for you, if that's your service, great. If not, have you noticed yet, if you tried other services at West Des Moines or other campuses or local sites, you do realize, I mean, there's like dozens of different services Hope does every weekend. I've lost count. I would love to tell you the number. I'm trying to think. I'm adding, I, I've quit trying to add it up in my head while I stand here. I don't know. It's a lot. But every single one is different. It has its own distinctive feel, vibe, mood, whatever. Find the one that gets the Jesus thing going for you because that's a good reason to go. Whatever it is that stirs you. But please don't turn it into just that. It's not just consumption. In fact, first and foremost, you're here to serve. You're here to welcome strangers. You're here to be hospitable. You're here to worship and hear God's word together. You're here to pray together. You're here to be family together. This is a family reunion, and we have one every weekend. Dozens of times in dozens of locations. And all of you who are online, and that's most of you, you're part of the family too. Wherever you are. During this pandemic, hope has become this church that has I met some people after the first service this morning. They said, we're from northern Minnesota. We're, we started becoming a part of your church during the pandemic because we needed a service to do online. Welcome. We're so glad you're here. What you've done is you've been led by God. We say, 
We don't think it's an accident you're here. We've been praying for you. We pray that God will lead people here into all churches, all around here, the ones that we're, we're all on the same team. Any church that confesses Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord and God as Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Martin Luther, talk about tradition. The 16th century monk who started the whole Protestant Reformation, and we take our name from him, he said, Satisest in the Latin, Latin, it is enough for the unity of the church that we agree on that. That we agree on the gospel, the good news of God's love poured out for us through Jesus Christ. They're going to express that differently in the church across the street, in the church down the street, and a little differently at some of the different services we have here at Hope in our different locations and places. Great. Explore the space. Look around. But please don't just do it as a spiritual consumer. Please know you've been made for more. Please know you're called to be family together. That you're called to... to, to to embrace something far, far deeper. Tradition can be a good thing, but tradition can also get you stuck. Jesus says you can cancel the word of God in order to hand down your own tradition. If you start to worship tradition instead of God, if you say it's not really church unless we sing these kinds of songs, it's not really church unless this particular preacher is preaching, it's not really church unless the, church, unless the pastor's wearing robes. It's not really church unless the church has a 50-something-year-old pastor who thinks he's 25 and tries to dress like a tragic hipster. It's not really church. Oh, there's a lot of that going on these days in the church. I don't know when that trend happened, but I'm not getting on. No. I will continue to dress the way my wife tells me to dress. So that's my fashion sense. Can I get an amen from any other men in the congregation? Yes. If you know what's smart, you just say, okay. I feel silly, but I'll do it. When we substitute tradition for God, we're lost. No wonder so many Christians in America today say things like, I used to feel close to God, but I don't anymore. I used to feel it in worship, but I don't anymore. It must be the church. Sometimes it is. But more often than not, it's us. It's our hearts get closed up because we focus on the surface things. We focus on our preferences. We focus on the way we want it instead of saying, there's something way deeper going on here, and I'm here for it. I'm here for it, and my heart is open to it. And I want to receive God's word however it's packaged, however it comes. There's nothing in the Bible that says it's got to be pipe organs, that it's got to be robes, that it's got to be liturgical. Nothing at all. In fact, the most traditional instruments in terms of faithful worship as children of God, if you go back to the Psalms, Psalms means songs, the biggest book of the Bible, 150 chapters, those are all songs. And it says these are written for these instruments, guitars, drums, cymbals. No organs. <laughs> There's nothing wrong with this contemporary new instrument called a pipe organ. That's great. If you're into the new things, you go ahead and embrace that pipe organ. But if you want to embrace tradition, it'll go back to drums and cymbals and guitars. It doesn't matter. Turn to the person next to you and say, it doesn't matter again. It doesn't matter. We lose our way when it's all about tradition, when it's all about surface, when it's all about style. There's substance here you're missing. And it's the substance that's going to save you. It's the substance that's going to transform you. It's the substance of God's word that's going to give you joy that's untouchable. A peace that passes all human understanding. A salvation to win victories over sin and death 
so that you can walk through this world even though you know you're a sinner, you say, so what? I'm also redeemed by the blood of the Lamb of Jesus Christ. And so we walk with faith and with confidence. To walk with confidence literally in the original Greek of the New Testament means you're walking with faith. That's the substance. That's healthy spirituality. Do you have that? Or is your Christian experience more surface level? Good, well then I want to poke you because I love you. I want to encourage you to look deeper, to, to, to move further, to push beyond the boundaries of it has to be this way and say, God, you have to fit into my comfortable little box or I can't worship you. That's you, that's me. That isn't the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is willing. The Spirit is willing, but the flesh is sometimes Lutheran and we get in the way. So don't get stuck. Don't get stuck. Jesus says this about the robes. He says, beware of these teachers, these preachers. They like to parade around in flowing robes. <laughs> and they love to say respectful, they, they love to receive respectful greetings. Everyone respect me and respect my office as the senior pastor of this church. I don't feel it. <laughs> and that's just fine. Respect me as a brother in Christ. Respect me as a child of God. Respect me as a, as a sinner in need of God's redeeming, just like all the rest of us. Respect me as one blind beggar preaching and teaching other blind beggars where to get some good food from God. That will have mutual respect. Not just you for me. All of us for one another as a part of this family. Jesus is getting at that. He says, beware of these people who it's all about appearances. See, even the most traditional things can be traditions that need to be broken. Beware of people who say, because they wear the robes, because they have the title, because they have the office in religious circles, therefore, just by that alone, they demand respect and admiration from all the people. No, that's not where it comes from. It's far deeper than that. And Jesus, because he's God in the flesh, just can't leave us there. This is not about the robes. There's nothing wrong with the robes. There's nothing wrong or right. It doesn't matter. If it, if it helps you hear the gospel, then go to our traditional service where they robe up every week. If it gets in the way, here, I'll help you. I can't wear this. It's getting very warm anyway, so I'm going to take this off. And don't worry, I thought this through. It's not going to get weird as I take this off, you know, or anything. I want to make sure that you know that. And some of you are like, I've always wondered how those things work. It's really not that fancy. That's how they work. It's pretty much a bathrobe that you pay $150 for when you graduate from seminary. And you hope it lasts a lifetime. And this one has. Sometimes we get lost in the trappings. But the holy space between slick and stock is right here. Jesus says, Mark chapter 4, verse 20. Hear the word, accept it, and produce a crop, Jesus says at the end of a parable where he says, a farmer went out to farm, a sower went out to sow, a gardener went out to garden. Whatever connects best with you. It's the same point. Some of that seed, which is God's word, that good seed, fell on rocky soil or thorny soil or soil that wasn't going to produce a harvest, and so it didn't make it. But some of that seed wasn't just surface stuff. Some of that seed got into the rich soil which goes deep. The good soil. This is where you and I come into the story. 
We open our hearts. We open our hearts to receive the good seed of God's word and it takes root inside of us and it produces a harvest, a crop, sometimes 30, sometimes 60-fold bigger, sometimes multiplied 100 by what was sown, a tiny little seed, and it's 100 times greater by the time God gets done with it. This is really key. This is really important. Because we can fall into the trap as churches, especially in a world where we can get stuck so easily of thinking it's all about us. It's not about us. The metaphor I like to use is think of Lutheran Church of Hope as this big cruise ship. Only it's one of those ships, you know, that you can't afford to go on that has those big giant sails. And it just sails. It doesn't even need a motor. It just sails. It just goes. And so here's the way too many churches in America are doing it these days. Hey, look at our awesome programs. Look at our stylish pastors. Look at our cool music. Look at all of our stuff. Isn't this awesome? You say, well, what a hypocrite. You've got a water slide of a baptismal font back there, and you've got a big giant cross, and then you've got a bookstore that Jesus would flip tables over if he walked in here that must be a nice little side hustle for your church, a little income stream thing, because you're not getting enough in the offering plate, so you must need to try to get more by selling candy bars. I'm glad you brought that up. Donated, donated, anonymous. We don't even know who gave it. Not an offering thing. Just one person said, I think you should have a big cross. One person said, I think you should have, that is the coolest baptismal fun ever. One person, and then a bunch of us said, what if we had a bookstore to sell resources and to give people a reason to come to church by giving them coffee that's better than Starbucks? What if we did that? And we have still the Lutheran free coffee, if that's your thing. And I don't drink coffee, so I really don't know the difference, but I'd go for free if I was you. But, it, but, but, but if you go for the stuff that's better, and you say, you just don't get it, and you're right, I don't. But, it, but if you go for the good stuff, just know that every penny, every penny that we make in that bookstore goes to missions outside of Lutheran Church of Hope. I'm glad you asked. Check the heart of a church. Check the heart. Peel back all the layers. Peel back all the layers. And if a church is trying to hide things from you, run. Our books are open. Our financial books are open to this church. If you have questions or doubts or concerns, come and see. Come and take a look. We'll open them up. We'll say, well, what's your question? What would you like to know? We'll show you where it is. We've got an annual meeting once a year. We'll meet this afternoon in just a few hours. And we'll gather together. And, and as a church family, we'll say, this is going to be where our offerings go. This is our budget. We've had wide open hearings at all of our campuses leading up to this. Because it's important that we're trustworthy. It's important we don't cut corners and give you a little wink and say, well, the real reason we want to grow this church is we want to have more members so we can have more money, so our staff can make more, so that we can have fancier cars and bigger houses. And sure, I have a private airplane, but you know, I need it. <laughs> <laughs> the person maybe was here, the person, I knew it. I figured. <laughs> it's a prop. It's not a jet. Does that help? I'm kidding. I don't have a plane. My wife works for an airline, though, so we fly for free, so that's kind of nice. But we fly coach. This is what we call the hope circle. A lot of people come in here as seekers because they say, you know, I've tried to get life from this world, and it's not the world's fault. They just can't give it to me, so I'm seeking something deeper. Maybe it's Jesus. Maybe I'll try this Christianity thing. Maybe I grew up with a little bit of it, but I didn't get it, so now, now I'm going to try. I'm going to open my heart to it. Oh, I'm so glad you're here. 
you've come to the right place. Because what happens here, and we see this by the thousands, seekers hear the word of God, hear it, Jesus says, and they become believers. Faith comes by hearing, Romans 10 says, and from believers they accept it. Jesus says, accept the word, not just Jesus the Savior, but now make Jesus your Lord, the Lord of your life, the one you look to, the one you surrender to, the one who calls the shots for you. Become a follower and then be inspired by the Holy Spirit to produce a crop and to be a servant leader. Now you're moving, now you're going, now it's the Holy Spirit moving through us. So get back on that cruise ship with the big wind sails. Here's the way too many churches do it. They say, everybody gather around, let's get the whole church, it's our programs, it's the way we do it. It. on the count of three everybody blow one two three I mean there's thousands of us we should be able to make a huge difference right we're going to put our wind our wind in those sails and this ship is going to fly this is wow we are going to go no wonder spirituality in America is so anemic no wonder so many churches are struggling no wonder so many Christians are dry. We forgot. It's not about us. Do you know what churches are called to do biblically? Pray. Take a knee. Humble ourselves before a holy God. Acknowledge that we need a Savior. Come to the cross of Jesus Christ. And then as far as doing things... Our job is to set our sails to the wind of God's Spirit. And if we learn how to do that faithfully... This ship is going to sail. We're going to fly. We're going to move. We have no hope as Lutheran Church of Hope of getting this church anywhere if it's all about us. But if we surrender to the Holy Spirit of God, now we're moving around this circle. And I've seen other churches, and, other, and it's fine. They have, you know, like stair steps, or they say move your way up or whatever. We intentionally chose a circle with the cross at the center to depict the discipleship journey we want you to take. Because when you become the most mature Christian, you're at the bottom. Jesus says the first will be last, and if you want to be the greatest in my kingdom, you'll be the chief servant. But here's the other thing. It's a circle. It doesn't stop. Please do not ever give in to the temptation. It's not biblical to say, the goal is to get here as a servant leader, and then I've arrived, and then I just park it. No, you don't. We still need to hear the word of God. We still need to hear it, and it transforms us. And so the most mature Christians around Lutheran Church of Hope are not the ones who park it here as producers and servant leaders. They're the ones who say, I still need to hear the word of God. This morning, my wife said to me, I love you, Mike. And I said to her, I know. You told me yesterday and a bunch of times the day before that. I, I know. I got it. Let me know if anything changes. <laughs> of course I didn't say that. She said, I love you. And I said, I love you too. Thank you so much. I can't think of one time in our, in our entire marriage where she said, I love you to me. And I'm like, eh, I don't want to hear that right now. <laughs> I want to hear those words. We never get so arrived and so mature as Christians. We don't need to hear the gospel, the good news that God loves you. God loves you. Turn to the person next to you wherever you are and say it. Say, God loves you. He truly does. That's how you get unstuck. But when we get unstuck, if we aren't careful, we say, yeah, it's not about traditions. So that sets us free to, to be able to worship any way we want. And, and then we can start slipping around. <sighs> that's what I'm talking about we can start slipping around on <laughs> slick 
Hold on, I gotta show a little more. Don't worry, t-shirt, I'm not going there. Yeah. I'm 58, nobody needs to see that. Now can you hear me? Is this what it takes? Please tell me no. <laughs> After the service last night, I would call the demographic, I mean, this is a very, very small demographic at Hope, but the demographic after the service that came up to me and was just thrilled with this look, I would call it the 70 plus year old female demographic. Uh, and they came up to me and just said, that is, that's gotta be your new look, Pastor Mike. You gotta, you gotta run with that. And then there were men in their 20s too, who were like, dude, the only thing you gotta do is rip the sleeves off and get some tats, and then you'll, you'll be good to go. <laughs> I'm a basketball player, you don't need to see my arms. No, that's, that's all right. Is it this or is it the robes? It's the same problem. If you're picking your church because of this, you're lost. You slipped. And I'm concerned you're gonna miss stuff God has for you. Because it's all about feelings and consuming and. What's in it for me? And what do I prefer? And what makes me feel coolest or whatever it might be instead of the deeper stuff? Jesus says, beware of the false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep but are really vicious wolves. I'm not saying every preacher who dresses like this, although the ones in their 50s, I don't think there's very many of them who are faithful, but the ones who are younger who can pull it off, like Perry Ross, he can pull it off, right? He, he can do that. Nick Brannon, he could, he could preach this way and we'd be like, yeah, that's Nick. Mike Householder? This is just weird, isn't it? it? Feels weird and I will also add this. It feels like from my waist up, I'm in a sauna right now. I, I just wanna say that. Why is it right to wear a jacket indoors when it's 72 degrees? Makes no sense to my generation at all. Beware though of the people who are doing it for the wrong reasons. Not everyone who dresses this way is doing it for the wrong reasons. Sometimes they are. Test it out. Hold us accountable. Peel back the layers. Take a look. Because the substance is too important to miss. Jesus says this, and if there are, I want to talk to you as I close this sermon about three things that are signs of a slick church or slick spirituality that is a really dangerous place for you to be spiritually. This is a, from a, Instagram page called Preachers and Sneakers. There's a really good guy who loves the Lord. He's not atheist. He's not anti-Christian or anti-church. He just says, just feels like we've gotten a little too slick. When the preachers are showing up with $1,200 shoes, 39. When they're doing that, that doesn't mean they're unfaithful, but it's kind of a warning sign. It's kind of a, a, a danger zone. It, 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 woe to you, Jesus says, teachers of the law and Pharisees, you people who stand up and teach, you hypocrites, when you're full of greed and self-indulgence. This is what God says when David is anointed as king in the Old Testament. He says, the Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart. The Lord looks at the heart of the preacher. 
the pastor, the worship leader, the church council member. The Lord looks at the heart of the parishioner, the church member, the, the, the person who's here. The Lord looks at all of our hearts. The Lord doesn't see things the way the world sees them. First and foremost, superficial, on the surface, shallower. The Lord sees substance, is looking for our hearts. Jesus says later, you know, this generation, they honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Let me be as clear on this as I can be on anything I say in this sermon. God wants your heart. Have you given it to him? God wants your heart. Because if you just give him your religious motions, no matter what tradition they are more comfortable in, and you don't give him your heart, no wonder you feel so dry. No wonder you feel like you're in a spiritual desert. No wonder you feel like you're wandering. No wonder you feel like it isn't happening anymore. It's your heart. You honor me with your lips, but your heart's far from me, God says. You're looking at things the way the world does. See them the way I do. Look deeper. Second sign of spiritual slickness and, and worth being concerned about is fame. Jesus says, don't be like the hypocrites who love to pray publicly on street corners and in the synagogues where everyone can see them. John the Baptist is my hero on this one. He's baptizing, and he's got thousands of people showing up, like thousands of people show up here in this church, and I'm human, and if I'm not careful, I could start to give in to the temptation, and I will tell you that temptation exists for any megachurch senior pastor in a church that's growing. Here's the temptation. I'm just going to be very transparent and open with you about it. This is happening because of me. It's me. I'm the one who knows how to do this. This is why it's happening. And it's a lie. It's a lie from the devil. But there are so many pastors, not just megachurch pastors, small church pastors who have the same mentality and medium-sized church pastors. It doesn't matter the size of the church. It matters what's in our hearts. Test it out. I'm asking you to. I want to be held accountable. I want all our pastors to be held accountable. Peel back the layers. Make sure that we aren't in this for the wrong motives, that we aren't doing this for, for personal gain, but we're doing this for the glory of God. We are a church that doesn't want to make Lutheran Church of Hope crowded. I'm telling you, the more crowded this church gets, the harder my job gets. So there's kind of that motive there too. You say, yeah, but your salary goes up, right? It does not. Take a raise for years. It, do, it doesn't matter. I'm extremely well paid. But all of our salaries are based on this national survey. I want you to know that. I want you to be able to trust that. Every staff member, we look at what do churches, thousands of them across America, pay for this position, for the responsibilities they have. That's what we pay. Simple. Takes all the pressure off. Makes sure that my motives don't get sideways or messed up. You know, we get a thousand more members. Baby needs new shoes. Let's go. We pull all that away and we have accountability and we have a church council and I'm accountable to them and I have to give monthly reports to them and I want to. That's the way I want it to be. I'm nervous around a church where the senior pastor has all the power. Where it's all about, oh, this is what I want to do. Well, who's holding you accountable? Who's holding me accountable? You, you elect them. You'll elect them in a few hours. And they're not all yes men and women. In fact, as I think about our current church council, none of them are yes men and yes women. They do their jobs. They do what you have called them to do. They're here to encourage and support, but they're also here to hold accountable. John the Baptist, my hero in all this, has thousands of people coming to him, and it could have gone to his head, but as soon as he saw Jesus for the first time, 
show up at his river, his church, he knew it wasn't his river. He looked at Jesus and he looked at his disciples and he told them, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world, go and follow him. So let me ask you a question. Does this screen depict your Christianity? It's all about the preacher, the pastor, the church, the style, the music, the format, the way we do it. And, you know, once in a while we think about Jesus. Or is it more like the next screen? Jesus says, John says, he, Jesus, must increase and I must decrease. And that's my goal. If you're getting pointed to me, I'm messing up. I'm here to point you to the one who saves. And that's what every church pastor and preacher and teacher should be doing. Third sign of a church that's gone off the rails with slickness is there's no accountability. It's a world without boundaries. The Bible says each of us will give a personal account to God. Theologically, I had to take these off. This is just really weird. I couldn't see anymore. The sweat. Theologically, we have to be accountable. And it's one of the things I love about being Lutheran. It's one of the things I love about the fact that I got to go to seminary and, and, and do graduate school work and get a master's degree in divinity and theology and, and scripture interpretation and Greek and Hebrew and all the th church history and all the things we study. Listen to me. Listen to my heart. Listen to, listen to my words too. I'm not saying that the only faithful pastors are the ones who are seminary graduates after they graduate from college with an undergrad and then they go to four years of theological graduate school and then that's the only way you could be a faithful teacher of God's word. That would just be blind to reality. There are tons of super faithful pastors, men and women, who preach faithfully the good news of God's word. Old and New Testament, long gospel, they get it, they understand it. But there's also a ton who do it because they want to be pastors. Who do it because they just like the way it looked. And they woke up one day and said, I'm a pretty good communicator. I'm a pretty good leader. I'm going to be a pastor. I, I like church. I had some good experiences in church once. I read some religious books. I listened to some religious music. I'm a pastor now. And I'll get some people around me who will say, yeah, if you want to be a pastor, you don't have to do all that work. You don't have to. If you were having surgery this afternoon, would you want your surgeon to say, I just want to be a surgeon. I didn't go to med school. I didn't do residency or fellowships and surgery. I just like the whole process of surgery. I just think it's pretty cool. And I read some health books. And, and, and I had a good experience once at a clinic. And so I put all that stuff together, and I'm your surgeon today. Again, hear my heart. There are faithful, faithful pastors who didn't get graduate degrees. And here's the cool thing about Lutheran, and we kind of err on this a little bit, too much head, not enough heart sometimes. But in this church, on our pastoral staff, there's over 150 years of graduate school experience. And we have iron sharpening iron around here. We meet whoever can on a regular basis, and it always spirals into theological conversations, and there, there's accountability there. We're holding each other in check, among other things, like just having fun. I think that's important. You want to get on an airplane with a pilot who says, I'm not exactly what you call certified. I'm not exactly what you call licensed. And it's not just fly-by-night churches. 
30 to 80% of pastors in America today didn't go to seminary. They just say, oh, I just, I'm a pastor now. That's it. Boom. Here I am. Let's go. And a lot of them are really great communicators, some of them, and really great leaders. And so they end up with these massive churches that are a mile wide and have no depth. Because they're not theologians. They don't know how to read scripture. They don't know the original text. They, they don't know how to dive into it. They don't understand church history. They don't know heresies. And so they're more apt to fall into them. I'm not saying it can't happen. I'm just saying I want to get on a plane with a pilot who's been certified. It's got to be theologically safe. There has to be theological accountability. Whether you're a seminary grad or not, here's, uh, here's the other part of accountability. It has to be personal accountability too. King David, who's appointed to be king, and there's a whole bunch of people, and that's where, where God said, the world judges by appearances, but I see David's heart. That's why I'm picking him. Even though all of his big brothers, David was a little pipsqueak shepherd, little brother, the runt of the family, all, even though the statue in Italy looks like he was the man, he's the little runt of the family. All of his big brothers had the king look. Their father even said it. When the pro God sent the prophet Samuel to choose and anoint the next king from God, God through Samuel says, it's, it's not them. And the father's like, yeah, but look at them. Strong, muscular, tall, big, kingly, royal. And that's when the Bible says, the world sees appearances, but God looks deeper. So David is chosen. Saul, the current king, is upset and jealous. Saul's a horrible king. He's a bad king. David ends up being the greatest king Israel's ever had. What's the difference? David's moral and Saul's immoral? Nope. <laughs> Saul's immoral, but so is David. At times, like we all are. David has an affair with Bathsheba, makes sure that her husband is in the front lines, ends up getting killed. He's got quite a track record. But God never kicks him off the throne of leadership. Evangelical tradition says he's out, he can never come back. Scripture says it depends on his heart. It depends on your heart. It depends on our hearts as a church. Instead of pretending to be morally perfect, which is also causing a lot of churches to go off the rails these days, we humbly take a knee. Like John the Baptist who say, behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. We don't need John the Baptist. We need the one John the Baptist is pointing to. We need Jesus. David knew he needed God's grace. Saul got defensive and said, I didn't do anything wrong. That's the difference. So choose. Do you have somebody who's like Nathan for David in your life? Somebody who loves you enough to hold you accountable. Nathan comes to David and said, David, let me tell you a story. A poor man had a little lamb, and he loved that lamb, and it's all he had. It's all he had, and he took such good care of that lamb. A rich man in the same town was the richest man in town. He had all the other sheep, all the other lambs, the livestock. The rich man was going to have a big banquet for all of his friends, but instead of taking the meat from one of his own sheep, one of his own flock, he stole the one lamb that the poor man had, took the meat from that lamb, and fed his banquet guests. David was outraged. What kind of a person is that? That's dark, that's evil, that's sinful, that's horrendous. You are that man, Nathan said to David. Or maybe he said it like this. 
David, my friend, I love you, but you're that man. You're the rich man. Who do you have like that in your life? Who do you have to hold you accountable? Because if you don't, it's so easy to slip. It's so easy to fall back. And I'm telling you, this church has accountability built in at every level, but it's really up to you. Are you going to try to talk God out of your sin or confess it? When Nathan brought that news to David, here's what he did. You can read about it. He wrote a psalm, Psalm 51. I've sinned against you, God. I've sinned against you. I've sinned against, I confess that I've sinned against you. Create in me a clean heart, O God, David writes in that psalm, in that song. And renew a right spirit within me. Cast me not away from your presence, but restore to me the joy of your salvation. That's the holy space between slick and stuck. It's when we admit we need a savior. It's when we admit we need God's grace. You'll never get deeper than that. It's not about this or that. And it's certainly not about this. But can I keep the glasses? I mean, you know, that might be a good look. It's about God wanting to get into your heart. I want your heart, God says. Will you let him in? If you do, it'll renew a right spirit within you. It'll set you free. And then you'll start to feel it again. Because you'll remember it's not about me. It's about God's love being poured out for me. And me simply opening my heart to it. Amen? Amen. All right. I'm going to have to dismiss you. I'm sorry to the band, but that's where we're at. Uh, I, I apologize. I confess. I'm a sinner in need of a Savior. But go in peace. Serve the Lord. New members. Let the new members out first. Go greet them. They're going to have donuts back there. So go out and greet the new members on their way out. We're going to sing this song for you as you go out so you can worship with this song in your heart as you go.